Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ in your, as your Savior, aren't you glad that death and hell and sin has lost its grip on you? I'm telling you what, that's just that thought just thrills me, the hope, the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you know that today. And if not, I pray that you don't leave without knowing just the, the very power and love and forgiveness, the freedom that is available in Christ Jesus. All right, I'm going to ask you uh, again that we have some new people here, of course, but you're not familiar with this, but we lift up our Bibles. If you've got your Bible, hold it up if you would. And again, just go ahead and say along with me. It's there in your bulletin if you need it, but this is the Word of God. I will read it, I will believe it, and I will obey it by the grace of God. Let's read again this morning in Mark chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 27, I want to read this passage again. And they come again to Jerusalem. Now, understand this is now the third day of Passion Week. Passion Week is the last week that Jesus lived on this earth before he died and then three, on the third day ascended uh, or arose from the grave and then, of course, uh, ascended to the Father, came back, was with us for 40 days, and then, of course, he ascended and went into heaven, and, and there he is waiting to come again. But it's the third day of Passion Week. So Sunday would have been Palm Sunday. That was the first day. They come into the city, and then they come back, and the, the, the tree is there. He curses the tree, uh, the fig tree, and he cleanses the temple. That was the second day. That would have been Monday. And now it's Tuesday, the withered fig tree. They come back. They see the tree is withered and so we already covered that two weeks ago and so we're not going to touch on that again but we're going to go on down to where they're coming back again verse 27 the third time into Jerusalem uh, and he was walking in the temple that he had just cleansed that we talked about last week and they come to him the chief priests the scribes and the elders and they say unto him by what authority Dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? So essentially they're asking two things. Who gave you or by what authority are you saying what you're saying and are you doing what you are doing? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will, ask, I will also ask of you one question and answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John... Was it from heaven or of men? In other words, was it of God or was it of mankind? Answer me. And they reasoned within themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven or of God, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? And if we shall say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. In other words, the people thought it was of God. So therefore, we can't say it's of heaven or we're going, they're going to say, 
Why didn't you obey? And we can't say it was of people or of mankind because then the people are going to get mad and they're going to say, what are you talking about? He was definitely from God, being John. In verse 33, they answered and said to Jesus, I've got it figured out. We're not going to tell you. We don't know. We're not going to say. And then Jesus says, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. I want to bring this message. It's a question or the question of authority, or it is a question of authority. That's the topic this morning. That's the passage this morning. Let's pray again and ask God to speak to our hearts and meet with us today. Father, we thank you that you are here in our midst. Where the, Your word says where two or three are gathered, you are in our midst, and certainly we are here to worship you. We are here to glorify you, and God, Father, we are here to hear from you. And Father, I pray that you would speak clearly and loudly and plainly to our hearts. And Father, not just would you speak to us, but that we would be respect, receptive to it and obedient. And God, that we would accept the authority in which you do things in our lives. The authority that you have in this world. And God, that we would not question your authority, but Father, we simply would submit to it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the picture again. The third day, they're coming back in. He's come. We had the withered fig tree that didn't have the fruit on it. Uh, that, that fig tree then is withered as Jesus cursed the fig tree. And the disciples come back and they're amazed because this fig tree in one day has withered from the roots up. In the meantime, Jesus has cleansed the temple Again, he drove out the things that ought not to be there. Not just things that ought not to be there, but the idea of the attitudes that were there that was preventing people from coming to worship and to pray. And so we've seen those things take place the last few weeks uh, here, on, here at Pleasant Hill on Sundays. And now here he comes, and here comes the crowd or the religious leaders, and they are questioning why he's doing these things? What is it? He's, who gave you the right to do these things? And sometimes it's just a matter of who's in charge. That's really what all this comes down to, is who really is or has the authority. Now, if you're a Christian today, you ought to know that it's Jesus Christ, that it's God above. That's the authority. That's our final authority. That's the ultimate authority. But there are people in this world that don't accept that, don't believe it, don't follow it. And by the way, there are some Christians that don't follow the fact that he's the final authority. Yes, they're, they're believers, but they still question. And I want to touch on that. I want to touch on the fact that here he was and they were questioning his authority. And so therefore, as they come in and they're questioning him, he does, being Jesus, what he so often did is he answers a question with a question. Again, he doesn't always answer directly. Now, you need to understand that Jesus, in doing some of the things that he was doing in Passion Week, was for the purpose of stirring up the religious leaders and bringing it to a final boil because he knew it's now time for me to lay down my life 
on the cross. And so the whole reason that Jesus had come, the, the ultimate reason, Jesus came and did many things. He was the fulfillment of, of many, many prophecies. He came as the perfect example, the perfect lamb. He was the one that taught us. He's the one that taught the disciples and, and, and everything that we have and believe ultimately is what he was teaching in his 33 years on this earth. But the real reason he came was not, yes, he was our example. Yes, he came and he loved. Yes, he came and he taught. But the reason he had to come was so that he could die to pay our ransom, our price, the price of our sin's debt that we could not pay. And so Jesus now knows, or he has known, that it is now time. And so therefore, I've got to say a few things, be a little bit more clear about a few things to kind of stir them up so that ultimately they're going to be able to put me to death and put me on the cross and I will pay the price that they are unable to pay. They don't know what they're doing. As he said on the cross, forgive them. They know not what they do. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And so he comes and he's stirring them up along the way. And as he does, they begin to question. They're, now understand, Jesus is going against, not just in what he was doing in overturning money, or the, the tables of changing money, the doves, driving people out, and just cleansing that temple that was in the face of the religious leaders whose job it was to make the temple what it ought to be. They were given the authority by man to be responsible, and ultimately, by the way, by God, to be the caretakers of the temple and of the religion, of the faith, teaching the people. But they had misapplied that. They had misused that. They had abused it. And Jesus was setting things right, stirring them up. And so now here they come, and they're asking, who do you think you are, and who gives you the right to say the things that you're saying and do the things that you're doing? And the people that were questioning him, although they were religious people, Number one, there's two basic groups of people that question the authority of Jesus. Or today we'd say question the authority of Jesus or question the authority of God by application. And that is unbelievers, number one. These were people that were not believers in Jesus Christ. They were not believers in him as the Messiah. And certainly the chief priests, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they were all there. And throughout his ministry, they're constantly challenging and questioning and doubting. They were not believers in him. Oh, there were a few. We read about Nicodemus and we read about Joseph of Arimathea. And there were others that were in that religious crowd that became believers. But by large, they were not. And so these unbelievers were asking questions and questioning his authority. By the way, not just asking questions of wanting to know the answer, but basically challenging him. Who do you think you are? Why do you think you can do these things? Why are you teaching these things? Why are you doing the things that you do? Why aren't you doing something else? Why aren't you doing what we want you to do? Why aren't you helping us? Ultimately, that was really what they were asking. And so while we see in this place, it's the chief priests, the scribes, and the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, but today we have people asking the same question. Who does God think he is to try to rule my life? 
Who does God think he is to do and to allow what he does and what he allows? Who is God to try to move and in, 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 in direct in our lives today? Whether they don't believe in the God of heaven at all, whether they don't think that he has the right to do what he does, whatever it might be, they're unbelievers that question and challenge and doubt that there is a God in heaven, that he has the right to do the things that he does, and that's what these religious leaders were doing. And today we have that same, throughout the course of history we've had that, and even today we have unbelievers who say God has no right, or your God has no right. But there's also a second group before we get too carried away, because again, as we look at people that are not believers, as I've shared with you many times, as God wor God's word tells us over and over and over again, without God opening their eyes, without the faith to believe, they are blind. And so here these religious leaders who ought to have known, but still they were lost in their blindness. And today people that question God and doubt God and, and challenge God are lost in their blindness. They cannot see. But there's a second group, and that's the believers. The believers also question. The believers also challenge. The believers, you say, well, what are you talking about the believers? Well, the disciples were questioning what Jesus was doing. Remember Peter when he said, Jesus said, I'm going to go die, and I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die? And Peter says, what are you talking about, Lord? You can't do that. Who are you to go and die? You're supposed to be the king. That's what Peter was ultimately saying. Peter, the disciples constantly had questions. Jesus, why are you asleep in the bottom of the boat? Don't you know that we're going to die? So even the followers of Jesus were questioning Jesus why are you doing the things you're doing? Why are you saying the things that you're saying? Why are you leading and going the direction that you are going? And that brings me to today. Those in, here in church, in, in churches across this land, Christians, believers, people of faith, but yet we do the exact same thing. We question. Even John the Baptist who Jesus called the greatest prophet. Remember John the Baptist? And he said, sent question to Jesus and said, are you the one who has promised to come or is there somebody else? Even John the Baptist questioned. But even we question when God doesn't do what we think God ought to do. When the Lord doesn't go the direction that we think he ought to go. When the Lord doesn't answer the prayers we think that he ought to answer. Don't we at the same time say, God, what are you doing? God, God, why are you doing that? God, why are you allowing this person to be sick? Why are you allowing this home to be broken? Why are you allowing these children to be taken advantage of? Why are you allowing people to go hungry? Why are you allowing this person to have this disease or that disease? God, why are you allowing what you allow? And we question and we challenge. and we Is God really in control? And that's really what was going on here. It was a question of his authority. So I want you to think about for a moment why. Why do we question his authority? The reality is we do. We shouldn't. We should not question his authority. They had no business questioning his authority. We can look and we can say, oh, well, they were the religious leaders. They were trying to do what was right. Well, maybe some. 
But most were just trying to maintain power. Most were just trying to maintain control. There were some that you legitimately you think of and you say, well, they were trying to follow the Mosaic law and they didn't understand that Jesus was the fulfillment of that law and so therefore they were against him. But for the most part, the entire time, they're not trying to find truth. They're trying to trip him up and that's what they're trying to do here. And later on, they ask questions. In fact, if we read on, we see they start asking questions about taxes. We see they start asking questions about all kinds of things. What about this? And what about that? Trying to get Jesus to do something or say something that would then cause a problem between him and the people or him and the Romans or him and the religious leaders so they could have more to say. See, this is why we've got to put him to death. And so my point is this. It's one thing to question, but what are your motives in questioning? Are you questioning, God, I, I help me to understand? I want the truth? Or are you just questioning, God, who do you think you are to do the things that you're doing? You see, I think we question the authority today. We question the authority just for some of the same reasons they questioned his authority then. We don't understand why he does what he does. Right? There are things that we just don't get. Why? God, why does that person have to go through cancer again? Why does that person have to go through this hardship, this trouble, this abuse, this... Uh, why, why do they have to deal with a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction? Or why do they have to deal with losing a job or losing a parent or losing a spouse or losing a child? God, why? why? I don't understand. And there's lots of things that happen in this life that we just don't understand. And we can sit here and we can talk about what well, we live in a sin-cursed world and it's, it, 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 and it's the, the, the price of sin being in the world. But even as a pastor, even as a Christian, people say, but God, but pastor, why? And my answer is this, I don't know. I can say it's because of just the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world, but why is it happening to you or why is it happening to me or why this or why that? I don't know. Because part of what we need to understand is the fact that in not questioning his authority, we're not God. I'm not God. You're not God. But ultimately, if it's a question of authority, when I start to question and challenge his authority, what I am doing is I'm saying, hey, you're not doing what I think ought to be done, and we're setting ourselves up to be the authority. Understand, we're not going to understand much of why God does what he does. And that really leads to a second reason we question his authority. And it's part of the reason why they were questioning his authority. We don't like his authority. In our sinful, fallen condition, we don't want somebody telling us what to do. Now, we often look at children, right? And we say, you know, the child will be doing something and you try to stop them from doing it and they throw a fit. I was just over at my brother's house the other day. Uh, my, my, their, their youngest daughter has Down syndrome. Doesn't always understand things. But she was throwing a fit because she wanted to play ball. She wanted to roll the ball down the hill. She wanted to get the basketballs out. And her mom was telling her, no, it's time to go inside. We're having cake and ice cream. You're going to open your presents. And trying to convince her that that was the best thing for her. And she was having an absolute meltdown. And we think of children as, oh, well, they don't get their way. 
then they rebel. They don't like someone telling them, you can't do what you want to do right now, or you can't do this, or that's not the best thing for you. But you know what, adults? We're just big kids. We may not have a physical, public meltdown, although sometimes we do, but does it really matter if we're having an open, out-in-the-air meltdown or if in our hearts we're just saying, you've got no business doing that, God. You've got no business taking that thing away from me. You've got no business changing that area of my life. God, I just don't like what you're doing. I don't like that you're telling me what to do. I don't like that you're taking things out of my life. Again, cleansing the temple. I don't like the fact of the way you're leading, the way you're leading. And sometimes we question his authority because we just don't like the authority, we don't want it. We don't want, I don't want someone telling me um, what to do. How many of you men that are in here have, it, and again, it may be go the other way around, but usually it's the, the, the wife. We want an extra bite of cake, or we want an extra this or an extra that, and as our wife looks at us and says, but you don't need another bite of cake, you don't need another piece of cake. And what do we want to say to our wives? Who are you to tell me? But what is our wife trying to do for us? Or your mother? Or whoever it might be? It's not that they delight in taking that away from you. It's not that the fact they delight in denying you pleasure. It's because they know what is best for you. And we may not like someone doing it. But we need to understand that we need it. They didn't want his, they didn't understand his authority. They didn't like his authority. And we don't sometimes believe in his authority. They didn't believe that he was who he was claiming to be. He had begun now for the longest time in Jesus' ministry, other than his apostles, his disciples, his, his closest followers. He was not openly telling them he's the Messiah. Remember when he says, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say a prophet, and some say a teacher, and some say this, and some say that. And he said, who do you say that I am? And they said, you are, Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Remember, that was for the longest time. But now he has begun to openly declare and show he's the Messiah. Telling people, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to go and I'm going to pay the price for you. I am the Messiah who's come. And there are some people who just do not believe that he is who he claims to be. But there's sometimes as Christians, we don't believe that he has the right to tell and do and say what he does. And so therefore we're questioning his authority just as they were questioning his authority. But I want to give you the third thing this morning, not just the fact of, of, of they, those that question his authority and why they question the authority. I want you to see the third thing is the truth is he has all authority. Now you say, well, that's a pretty simple truth, preacher. We, we know that, we believe that, then why do we not always follow that? And I talk about that, some of the reasons why. We don't like the direction he's going. We want something else. We have our own desires. We think we know better. All those things. But the truth is, he has all authority. He is the Son of God. He is God himself. And being God himself, being Jesus, or whether we want to say Jesus' name, or whether we want to say God, they're one and the same. But God is the designer. He designed it all. 
And being the designer, he also created it all. He spoke it into existence. And if you're here today, you're here by the direct act of God. You say, it was a direct act of my parents. But God is the one that allowed them to give birth to you. And he's the giver of life. He's the keeper of life. He's the taker of life. He's the sustainer of life. And God is the designer and he is the creator. He created it all. And if you designed it and you created it, then you ought to have the say over it. And he does. And you say, well, I don't believe... I'm still having question. Well, can I just remind you of this? Not only did he design it, and not only did he create it, but also he redeemed it. You say, well, not here he hadn't redeemed it yet. In essence, he had. He hadn't done the physical act of yet going to the cross and paying the price of sin, but in reality, it was already as, as good as done. What God's will is, God's will will be done, and Jesus was going to the cross. So in essence, it was as if he'd already done it. But the point is that for us today, his, he not only did he design and create it all, but he is the redeemer of it all. And the one who has designed you for his purposes, for his glory, for his joy, for his pleasure, and brought you into the world, and brought you into a world which, by the way, he created because he wanted to, and he gave us everything that we ever needed in this world when he created it. But when we, because of Adam and Eve, sinning in the garden, were lost to the power of Satan, and the relationship was broken, he's the one that had a plan for buying it back. And he's the one that paid our price. And so therefore, he has all authority because he is designer and creator and redeemer, and he also is the director. The Bible says in Psalms that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. In fact, that he's the one that guides and directs our path. And he's the one that knows what's coming around the corner. And he does what he does for his purposes and for his glory. But it is for the best for you and for me. And when he went into that temple and he cleansed it, it was for the best because he had designed it and he had created it and he gave the instructions for it. But not only that, but he, for not, not just for the temple itself, but for the people of Israel. And he had paid the price or would pay the price. To redeem them. Oh, my friends, that is the one that has the authority. And not only that, but the fact that he knows everything that there is to know. Being all-knowing, he knows what's around every corner. He knows our every need. He knows our every desire. He knows what he has in store for us. And so he does what he will. But the last thing I want you to see this morning, and then we're going to be done is I want you to notice what Jesus does when they ask the question. He said, well, he asked the question. Yes, but notice where he takes them. And notice how he doesn't give an answer. He takes them back to the beginning of, of his ministry. By the beginning of his ministry, John was the forerunner, right? John the Baptist was the one who was born a few months before and came a few months before, and he had been ministering, paving the way for the Son of God, paving the way for Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world when Jesus went to be baptized. And so he takes them back to John. Why? Well, because John was the beginning as far as of Jesus' ministry. And the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had allowed John the Baptist to die at the hands of Herod the Great because 
John spoke out against what Herod was doing in having an adulterous affair, amongst many other things. And so therefore, John was put to death. And he takes them back to the beginning. Why? Because they had been given truth in the beginning. Of their lives, of, of Jesus' ministry, they had been given plain, simple truth, and they rejected it. Now, they rejected it because they did not believe it. But they couldn't admit that they rejected it because they were afraid of the people. Two things. One, we have to all believe in God's authority and accepting his authority and believing that he will do what is best. We need to understand this very fact. It does not matter. Make it down here closer. God does what's best, period. It's not based on what you think or what your idea is or any other thing. He knows it all. And so therefore, he does best not based on someone's opinion, not based on what it, how it affects this person or that person. He simply does what is right and what is best. And what is best for you is the very greatest thing that you could ever have happen to you. And you say, well, I don't like going through some of these things. But when you get through, you understand. I, I talk about this a lot, but one day you'll have your eyes open. You've had your eyes open if you're saved to the fact that Jesus is Lord and Jesus paid the price for your sin and that he is God and that you have to have repentance and forgiveness and then you can have a home in heaven. Yes, but one day your eyes will be open when we get to heaven and I think again that he'll show us and say this is why this and this is why that and you'll see that there was a perfectly wonderful reason and the things that God has for us is far greater than you can possibly imagine. And if we understand just how wise he is, and if we understand just how much he loves us, and we understand just how powerful he is, then we will not be prone to question, oh, we still sin. We still have times of hesitancy and sin. That's when we need to say, God, I'm sorry. You are God. I am not. You know it all. I don't. You own it all. I don't. You have power over it all. I don't. But why did he go back to John? They refused the first truth they had. The first real light they had. Meaning, again, they had creation just like we do. But John came and he was the one that after 400 years of silence, remember we've talked about this, but between Malachi and Matthew, there was 400 years of silence. And now here comes the messenger of God, the first light they had had in 400 years, and they rejected it. And they want to ask, well, how do you say you are who you say you are, and how do you have the right to do these things? And he says, if you're not willing to accept the first truth, why am I expected, or, or what, I have no responsibility to give you the next truth. And this is where you've heard me say this before. I, this is the passage I pull this from, is when God gives you one step, when God gives you truth that you need, and God gives you an instruction, or God reveals something to you, and you choose not to accept that, not to embrace that, not to believe that, then he says, okay, you know what? Until you get there, I don't need to give you the next step. And that's why he's saying, because you won't believe that, you're not going to believe me when I tell you what authority I have. 
And so therefore, if you want God to continue to lead your life and direct your life and guide your life and help you to understand what's going on in life, just follow him. Just believe what he puts before you. God wants you to understand. He, but he, more than he wants you to understand, he wants you just to believe and trust him. It's not that God doesn't ever want us to understand why he's doing what he's doing. There are some things that we never will. But what he wants us to say more than anything else is just, God, I trust you because I know how much you love me. And I know all that you've done for me. And so therefore, I'm not going to question and doubt and criticize. But God, I'm just going to say, just as I am. And God, have your own way. And God, I surrender all. Oh, my friends, if we could just get to that place, if we could just get to that, what a victory it would be. The first victory is believing that Jesus Christ loved you and died for you and that your only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. But then once you've gotten there and you've called on him to forgive you of your sin and you thank him for the fact that he's given you eternal life in heaven and a home in heaven is just then, if I can believe that, then what is there that I can't believe? If I can believe that God is the only way or provided the only way through Jesus Christ to eternal life and salvation in heaven in my eternal destiny, what is there that I could not believe him for? Oh, that we would not question. But we in love would just come and say, God, you're worthy of it all. You own it all. I'm yours. I'm yours. And then watch as God leads you each step of the way. Oh, he's the one that is authority. Do we understand that? Because here's the thing. When we doubt, when we question, God, as we mentioned last week, will not leave you where you're at. But he comes and he asks. That's why he asked them. He knew what was in their heart and he knows in what's in yours. And so the question he would ask you today is this in closing and for invitation and for the invitation to respond to what God might be speaking to you is do you believe that he has authority? Do you believe that he is who he says he is? Do you believe that he's done what he says he's done? Do you believe that he has the very best plans for you that's the question do you let's pray father i pray that you'd help us today oh god the joy oh god the peace oh god the release of removing the mantle of authority from ourselves. And allowing it to sit exactly where it needs to be, ought to be, deserves to be, and already is squarely on you. Oh, God, that we would understand just the fierce love that you have for us. A love that would not allow us to remain lost in sin in a broken relationship. But that you paid a price that only you could pay in a way that only you could do for a salvation that only you could provide. And God, that you can direct our lives in a way that only you can. God, help me not to question, not to challenge, but just to trust you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you. Till I cross